All right, so we're in John chapter 5. So if you want to turn there, I'm using the New King James Version. Um, throwing it back here. Um, and it'll be on the screen as we read. <clears throat> Real quick, this is early on in uh, Jesus' ministry. He's getting going. Um, he's coming from a, tri- a great time of travel um, in, in verse 4, I believe. You see the Samaritan woman, and he's traveling um, to Jerusalem, and he's going through um, places where he's familiar with. And uh, the passage right before this happens, we see that um, Jesus heals the official's son. And it, Jesus is just doing miracles, and, and all the glory is being given to him. And then he's going to be going to a pretty, pretty tough, pretty difficult situation right here. So we're going to read. Everyone there? Ready? All right, let's go. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is, a, is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda. Having five porches, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the movement of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in the condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise up and take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, is this the Sabbath? It is not lawful for you, it is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, he who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he had not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making him equal with God. Pretty cool story, huh? At uh, at Ignite and and, uh, 180, those are junior high and high school groups, 
we always just read a story and we always take a moment just to like grasp it. Just like, wow, that's, that's an incredible story. There's a lot going on. And then what we do is, is we break it apart. So we're going we're gonna to read um, it section by section and then we're going to kind of go a little deeper into it and, and discover a little bit more from God's word. So we'll read verse 5, 1 through 4. One more time. After this, there was a feast of Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In this, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So we see at the beginning that Jesus came from really ministering to a lot of Gentiles, to a lot of, a lot of different people, and he comes in to this place that it's, and he comes into a Jewish place, a religious place, where it's like festival time. And, and the, um, a lot of the translations, a lot of commentators say that this was Passover. So lots and lots of Jewish men were here at this place. And this event that it talks about, this water being stirred, um, these paralyzed people are by this pool and they're believing that when the water gets stirred by some angel, they step in, first who steps in, is healed. That's, that's interesting. So there was a, there was a community of, of sick people who believed in the healing power of the pool and it kept them around. Like you see, you have this image of all these people by the pool and they're just waiting for that moment. They're waiting for that time of healing and then they're rushing to step into that place. And it could have been a legend. Some commentators believe that this might not even be true. This might, might not even be the fact. But there's something about that pool that they hold on to. There's something about that hope that they hold on to. And Jerusalem really, Jerusalem's not really a place you'd expect to find a lot of sick people, right? It's this religious elite place. It's this place of the temple. It's this place where you don't really expect to find all these sick people struggling. But we do in this passage So we, we're seeing that, that there's something about this pool. There's some story. There's something that is keeping these people there because something is working. And it uh, kind of reminds me of any Giants fans, right? kind of reminds me of, of being a fan of a sports team, right? You, you stay loyal. You, you stay close. You follow your team because maybe, just maybe, they'll get to the World Series, right? Maybe. Maybe when LeBron retires, someone else will win the NBA Finals. Something like that, right? But I'm not a LeBron fan, but it's true. Not a sports crowd, duly noted. All right, moving on. So we have a religious festival. We have healings with Jesus. This is going to be good. Let's keep going. Verse 5. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity, 
38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he, had, that he already had been healed. Oh, sorry. All right, let's, read, let's, read, let's start that from the beginning. Can't talk here. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, rise up, take your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. A miracle, amazing, incredible, it happened. But let's, let's look. Jesus, Jesus being Jesus, being God, knew and understood that this man had a problem. He was stuck in his sickness. And you realize it with his response to Jesus. He says, Jesus says, do you want to be well? And what does he do? He passes it right on over to someone else, right? He passes it and says, he says, well, there's no one to help me. I'm, I'm the victim here, Jesus. It's funny to me to think about, like, someone's asking him if he wants to be healed. He doesn't go straight to, well, here's a pretty strong-looking dude. Jesus was a car- carpenter. And so he doesn't say, whoa, well, maybe this guy can help me. Maybe this guy can help me step into the pool. Jesus probably had the 12 disciples with him. Well, maybe, maybe we can come up with some sort of plan, right? Like a, like a football strategy, you know, draw it in the, in the sand. And, and you can say, well, well Peter, t- take this block. And James, you go over here, and we're going to figure out how to get this guy in the pool. This wasn't even in the sick guy's mind, right? Wasn't even trying something, some sort of strategy to get it. You know, we'll, we'll bench Judas. We don't really trust that guy right now. Um, and, uh, you know, or at least go distract and lie to people or something over there. Just, just using a little imagination. Don't quote me on that one. All right. Or do. I don't know. All right. Um, but we see that this man had his options. He had something there... Something could have happened to help this guy. Jesus, he could have seen someone that was interested in helping him, but he couldn't see that. He let, he let his excuse, he let his circumstances become his identity. He was comfortable in his, in his disability, and it blinded, blinded him to the options available at that time. The beautiful thing about the story, though, is that Jesus didn't let his answer sway him, right? Jesus knew what he wanted to do. Jesus had a will that he wanted to do, and he didn't let this man's lack of faith impact what, he, what Jesus wanted to do in that man's life. So whether, so this is an example of one of Jesus' healings, right? right? We see Jesus and, and we see some of Jesus' healings, him saying, your faith has made you healed. Your faith has made you new. But Jesus does something different here. He says, even in your lack of faith, I'm going to heal you. 
And then Jesus challenges him to step out in, in action and get up and walk. And Jesus exemplified and showed here compassion and grace. All right, we'll, we'll read on. Um, in the middle of like verse 9. And that day was the Sabbath. We're all there? And that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who is cured, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them, He who made me well said to me, Take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, a a multitude being in that place. Look at the Jews' response here. It wasn't, who's this guy who healed you? What happened? It was, you sinner. Who did this? This is against everything we know and, and are used to, so this must be bad. The Jewish leaders of that time were so concerned about conserving holiness that they ignored the miracle that Christ did. I'm not saying we shouldn't value holiness, right? But we shouldn't value the holiness that we can create, the holiness that we can earn. So we see that, that the Jewish leaders couldn't get past the rules and the regulations. And we're gonna talk a little bit more about that. That sounds harsh to put on the, put on the Pharisees, but it's, it's the re- reality of the story. Verse 14 will continue. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done things on the Sabbath. So we're, we're seeing that that Jesus warns this guy, right? Let's see, let me check one more thing. Okay, yeah. Jesus warns this guy. He says, with your new freedom, do not sin. And I think there are two things that he's, that he's, that he's alluding to that he's, that he's telling him right here. He says, value your newfound freedom and don't just use it carelessly. Don't go do whatever you want. Understand the weight of your new freedom and healing. And number two, don't fall back on your old self. You've been made new. 38 years, you could not walk. Now you can walk, now go forward. Don't go back. All his buddies, his friends, his, his community was by the pool. But he's telling him, don't go back. Go forward. Go towards me. And then I love, I just love when people do this, when people in in the Bible do this to Jesus. They just make a mess for Jesus, right? We see that that the Pharisees are like, who did this to you? And the guy was like, again, he was like, don't look at me, look over there. 
he did exactly exactly what he was used to, but thank good, thank God for grace. He passed this guy passed the blame on Jesus, and and then went his way and left this mess for Jesus. So verse seventeen, but Jesus answered them, "My Father has been working until now, and I have and I have been working." Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said, to, said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. I love, I love um, John 5 through, through 8 where Jesus is just explaining and showing that he's, he's God and he's the son of God and how, how that all works. I love those passages and, and that's where people have such a difficulty understanding, um, you know, who Jesus is in the stories. The, 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 the Pharisees, the Jews are trying to understand this. So we, real quick, I want to define two things. I want to define religious, the religious, and the victim. We see that the religious are relying on, the tra- on traditions and man's thoughts, man's wisdom for comfort and salvation. Look at the tra- they say, look at the traditions I have kept and how I have achieved righteousness. But I, I do want to be clear that religion isn't bad, right? Religion can can be the foundation we stand on, and if our religion is rooted in Christ and who Jesus is and what Christ did for us on the cross, that is, that is true religion, right? That's what, that's what our religion should be based on. But if we're, if we're relying on the traditions that we've made around our faith, the traditions that, that we're used to, the comforts, that's where it goes wrong. It's become the idea that we have to look and do certain things to achieve righteousness. And in other words, when Jesus moves in the church and it looks different than their religion, people don't like it. And then we look at the victim. We see that the victim relies on their circumstances for their comfort and salvation. Let me say that a little clearly. Clear. Re- victims rely on their circumstances for comfort and salvation. Things have happened to them that have hurt them, and they're aware of their sins, or they're aware of their sins. Sorry, I like, totally like, messed that up. Let's try that one more time. Things have happened to them that have hurt them or they're aware of their sins, but they stay the same because that's what's comfortable to them. In other words, they get very close to the pool, but they never step in because they're, they're comfortable in their community. They, they, they sit in the church. They build their community at the church, but they never truly step in relationship with God. 
Oh, I haven't even gotten to my main points yet, so I'm sorry. <laughs> but we see, we see that these mindsets, both mindsets, the religious and the victim, we see that, that both mindsets clearly affect how they interact with the outside world. But they start with an inner struggle. So the, the insufficiency, the, what's going on inside is what's being put forth, being shown outside. And you can easily tell someone who's just religious, and you can easily tell someone who's playing the victim. But we, we see that victims and the religious, they're the same. One just looks like sin, and one just looks like righteousness. And if, I, if I'm being honest, right, this feels like I'm just pointing people out, you know, and if I point at you, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Um, but if I'm really being honest, I'm a, I'm a victim on Monday, and I'm a Pharisee on Monday afternoon, if I'm, if I'm being honest. I have, I've struggled with this, and I think it's natural to us as humans and as people who are trying to pursue God is we can, it's that fine line. I mean, ask Pastor Ben. I'll, I'm, a, I'm just like, no, I'm not saying that's Pastor Ben. Sorry, that's what it sounded like. No, we meet on Mondays. And sometimes in, my, in our meetings, I can just be like, oh, I know I'm sounding like a victim, or I've, I know I'm sound, sounding super just like a Pharisee right now, but he'll call me out. So God, this is what God's been putting on my heart as, as a follower of Christ. This isn't something that I'm just pointing at. This is something that, that God's working within me, and I'm, I'm learning more and more to desire to be more like Christ. Not letting my circumstances get in the way of that and not letting my pride get in the way of that either. I think God taught me a lesson on Wednesday um, or he's been teaching me a couple lessons over, um, over the last couple months. I'll be speaking at junior high at Ignite and I'll be on stage and I'll, I'll be going. I'll just be killing it. Like the points I'm making are awesome. And, and, then, and then someone... Some of you know Ellie, Ellie Bailey, just, she's actually here, called out. Um, she'll raise her hand, and I'm just, I'm preaching. I'm like, I'm saying the best things. I've just like, this sounds so good right now. And then Ellie raises her hands, and she says something. And I'm like, I'm just going to step down, and you can come up, and you can teach the rest of the lesson. Like, I couldn't believe it. Um, so on Wednesday, I had Ellie teach the lesson. It was, it was, it was me giving up control. Right? If, if I, you know, if I teach every Wednesday, I can make sure that everything's being taught the right way and that I'm, I'm in the spotlight. But that was, my, that was my religious heart. And giving someone else the opportunity was having that humility of Christ. I hope it was. It was. Who turned up the heat? It's hot. What the heck? Are you guys bored? 
because I'm not bored. It's, it's always a funny thing. Like, I always kind of wonder, like, like, I'm just having just this grand old time. And, mm. All right, so now let's get to my points. Let's get to the point here. All right, and, and really, I'm probably just going over what I've already talked about. But let's, let's hammer it in here. The religious get upset when Jesus does church differently than they do. The religious get upset when Jesus does church differently than they do. Do we understand that? Man, when Jesus leads us, when Jesus leads us to do church differently, we freak out. It doesn't look like we're used to. It doesn't look like what we've done in the past. But, he's, but Jesus is moving. Do we believe that Jesus is still alive and well today? Then are, are we truly as Christians letting Jesus challenge us and move us forward? And I'm sorry about whatever that is, but that feedback. Just like, just like the, Jew, the Jews in that time, the Pharisees, they were, they were being challenged on everything that they knew. They were being challenged on how the Sabbath is done. They're like, okay, you healed, that's weird, but this is the Sabbath, this is how we do church. This is how we do things around here, and I don't know who you are, but we don't like you. And they didn't know, guys, they didn't know that this was Jesus. This, they didn't know that Jesus was taking the church, taking the Jews, taking people a different direction. They didn't know Jesus' plan yet. So we really, we should have a little bit of understanding for the Jews in that time, right? Right? It's, it's we should have some compassion, right? Because this is all that they knew, and it was being challenged. So we get, we get frustrated just like them sometimes because we get, we get stuck in this, this rut, this, this understanding that this is how we do church. This is how it's done. And then when Jesus is doing something that's strange to us that we don't quite understand, we get, we get a, little, a little upset. Right? And that's okay to, uh, the initial is, is understandable, right? But what's, what happens after that is is where sin comes in. And this isn't, you know, I'm not, I'm not necessarily talking about whether we have flowers on the stage, whether we do hymns or contemporary. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about relationships how we interact with the outside world. The religious have a hard time relating to the world, so they create their own when Jesus wants them in the thick of it. Jesus wants you in the middle of the world because he wants you to spread the gospel. Amen? And we can't, a lot of times the religious look at evangelism as gaining converts. And when you look at, at conversion and, and seeing a, someone get saved and they're saying, we've converted them, they're a new convert, 
you're saying that you've changed their mind. They've changed their thoughts about what they think about religion. And I know converts can mean that, right? But, but we're looking at a heart change. We're looking at a miracle, right? The biggest miracle is when God literally makes someone new, a new creation. So we're looking at a miracle, not just a, a conversion of, of thought, a conversion of, of religious practice. We're looking at a new creation, someone who's been made new and been grafted into the body of Christ. It's, it's literally the difference between deciding, say you're at in and out you're deciding, I think I'll get a number two. And your friend's like, but the number three is so much better. No, the number one, right? That's the double double, right? Number one is so much better. You're going to love it. Okay, I'll, I'll switch over, right? This is, I'm used to number two, but I'm going to take a number one. But I don't see, I don't, I don't see Michael Woods here. And Mike, tell him that I love him, but I'm going to use him as an example. And he can, I don't like talking about people when they're not here, but, you know, just relay the message. Um, one thing I love about Michael and is awesome is when Michael likes something, it is his identity. He, he's all about God, family, his truck, and in and out. It is, it is incredible. I have had, I have had heated heated um, discussions with Michael about whether In-N-Out is drive-through or is a restaurant, right? Can I hear drive-through? Can I hear fast food, right? I think it's fast food. Michael, Michael doesn't agree. And this isn't about gaining, I mean, you can tell him if you want, but this isn't about getting people on my side. It's just one thing about Michael is whatever he does, it's part of his identity. It's part of who he is. And that's, that's what we need in the body of Christ more, right? It's not just, okay, I've got my job here, I've got my family here, and I've got church here. It's, I've got Jesus, and he's just taking over all of it. He is, I'm taking Jesus with me. He is my identity, and he is going to impact everything, right? And that's what we're wanting to happen in our world. So to wrap up this, this point, religious people just see it as just a part, as, as, as practice. But Jesus must become our identity, our hope, and our foundation. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one who already have, the ones that already have, Jesus Christ. Right? Christ is our foundation, and we're going through life with him. I'm going super long. I, I was afraid I was going to be short. This is cool. Can I keep going? Is that all right? Doesn't sound like it. All right. Well, we're done. I'm going home. Just kidding. Um, all right. We've, we've just, we've gone after the religious, right? Now let's go after, let's go after the uh, victim. That sounds, I'm just kidding. Holding on 
to the comfort of our circumstances keeps us from experiencing the better that God wants to give us. The disabled man was so close to healing for 38 years, but never could do what it took to be healed. He couldn't heal himself, right? He couldn't earn his healing. So that became his comfort. Jesus then came and gave him better and more than he could have ever imagined. He forgot what it was like to be painless. He forgot what it was like to, be, to not be sick. So there are often two spiritual problems that we run into when we see victims and really it's a human condition here. Number one, a lot of times humans, victims, whatever it may be, they don't even know that they're sick. They don't even know that they need a savior, right? That's what the gospel is for. That's what we're for, right? Spreading and saying, hey, you're sick and you need, you need Jesus in your life. And then two, they're content in their sickness. The world is full of victims. The world is full of humans that, that need that, that, that are sick and they need to know and that they need to be woken up to their sickness. Jesus wants to give you better than you could ever imagine. True healing, newness, salvation, freedom, and I'm not saying, right, this sounds a little really close to prosperity gospel. Watch out, John, like, Jesus just wants to give you and give you prosperity. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Jesus wants, you, wants to give you joy in times of fear. Jesus wants to give you joy in times of doubt. He wants to, he wants to be there for you when you're just going through tough things in life. Because Jesus is your hope. So we're not, we're not saying, oh, life's going to be super easy. It's, it's Jesus with you when times are tough, when times are rough. We experienced that. Um, Sarah sat down with one of our, one of our youth um, a couple weeks ago, a, a while ago. And she was to the point, it's so sad, a 13, 14-year-old, because of her circumstances, not really wanting to live what was going on in, in her life and her family, didn't really want to live. Sarah sat with her and shared stories, shared moments where Jesus came into Sarah's life and where, where Sarah was finding hope in, in boys, finding hope in, in, in family members, finding hope in, in all the wrong places, just like this girl was, Right? Her circumstances were so rough that, that she was finding hope in the wrong places. But Sarah said, when I realized that, that Jesus redeemed me, that Jesus died for me, that Jesus loved me, my hope's not in my circumstances anymore. My hope is in Jesus. And this girl, and this was, this is while, this is during our, uh, our lesson time at youth group and Sarah came back in and this girl was not there for lesson time but during small, small group time um, we have a question you know, what stuck out to you what impacted you and this girl raises her hand and Sarah's like you weren't even in the meeting 
You're, what are you talking about? And she's like, I still want to share. And what this girl says, she said, I've realized that I am redeemed. That's what it's all about. We get so close to church, we get so comfortable here, and, it, and all it takes is a step into God's grace. But we're so okay with having problems. We sit with them, we bring them to church, and we are meant to come, when we are meant to come and give them to Jesus. But we never truly step in because we're comfortable with it. Have resolve it. We must confess our sin, the sin that we have been sitting in, sitting with for years, and ask Jesus to become our hope. Trust in Jesus that He died for us. And He takes that away. He gives us freedom, He gives us newness, He makes us a new creation. And then finally, with, with great freedom, right? We've heard that. With great freedom, with freedom comes great responsibility. And guys, I just want to be here to tell you, freedom without Christ is just another religion. Freedom with Christ is tr- true religion. Jesus, remember, Jesus told the man to go and sin no more. He said, go, use your new healing, the freedoms that he gives you that he gave you to spread the gospel to others. Uh, it reminds me of, it reminds me of, of Peter when, when, Jesus, when Jesus releases him of the dietary law. He says, I need you to reach out to Cornelius. His, him and his family, they need to get saved. Um, so will you please go? And he's like, whoa, you know. I can't even eat with those guys. I don't even want to be around those guys. And Jesus heals him of a bacon deficiency, right? He, he releases him from that part of the law so that he can spread the gospel. When Jesus heals you in life, he's releasing you to go spread the gospel. When you have freedom in Christ, you have freedom to go spread the gospel. We've got people on the sides to pray with you. We've got people that want to help you experience the freedom of Jesus.